Welcome to another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket. Of course, our sponsor, New Balance and NewBalance.com. Check out all the latest gear at NewBalance.com. Special episode as we are joined by Martin Redlicky. Uh, what's really unfortunate, Marty, is that nobody can see your hair today. Um, because yeah. I got to be honest, it's it's pretty good. Appreciate that, man. I really work hard at you know I work hard at everything. That's one of those things. Uh, so. Throughout the week, and not only this week, but also Little Rock, I've been privileged uh, to watch the two of you uh, do battle at FIFA quite a bit. Um, yes. And it seems to be that's the, the one relaxing... I don't know if it's relaxing for you. I've seen you get your ass kicked I quite wouldn't, a bit. I wouldn't call it relaxing at all. I would call it very, very stress-inducing, but in a very fun way. I mean, um, if you want to find out the true person that lies behind somebody put them in a fifa match and against then noah you, and then you start figuring out what makes a person tick put them in a fifa match against noah that's the thing well this is we do appreciate you joining us here on the podcast thank it, you for having me you're very welcome but it's it's tough day um earlier yep. today losing in three sets to luke saville uh how many matches have you been in in your career without a single break going three sets it can't be too many uh yeah, definitely not a ton. I can remember one other one off the top of my head. I was playing in Calabasas. I played against uh, incoming freshman at UCLA, Drew Baird. Uh, I lost 7-6, 4-6, Didn't get broken once the whole match, served really well. Uh, kind of the same story as what happened today. The returns, had I made a couple more, maybe given the opponent a few different looks, could have looked different. I mean, I had plenty of chances. I had two break points down the stretch today that if I make the return, you know, put it in court, do something different. Maybe he misses a, ret- maybe he misses a first ball. Maybe he gets nervous. I mean, so many things could have happened, but Martin, you're basically my age, but this is your first, you know, first couple of years on tour. First like, couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say first couple of years. I would, I mean, I started full time for real in January. Okay. So for one year, basically yes. you, you have a few months into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the expectations I had for myself coming out of school. Um, yours might be different, might be very similar. Um, I'm curious how you felt leaving college and, and if that has changed since, you know, the six to eight months that you've been on tour. Um, leaving school, I mean, I felt really good. I had a really good senior year at UCLA. I mean, finished number one in the country, NCAA single, semifinals and singles, title and doubles. Got a U.S. Open wild card into doubles and qualifying of singles, which was a nice kickstart. Um, but since I graduated December, I had to go back in the fall and finish. Um, since January, when I really started playing, it's kind of the first. The biggest thing is getting used to the fact that this is my job now, and everything I do, like personal life, off court, everything kind of revolves back to tennis so if someone asked me oh do you want to go ice skating roller skating doing something like that i have to take into consideration that well can't take the chance like little things like that and uh just getting better just having a mindset where i mean not really worried about the results like today obviously i wish i would have won but i'm more happy with how i played and how i competed and executed the things that i've been working on more so than getting the one win today because i think focusing on that stuff is going to get me further and where I want to be eventually. Where do you want to be? I want to be top 100 in the world, playing Grand Slams, like competing. So this is your dream? Yeah. I mean, I think anyone that embarks on this journey, I mean, I mean, we've talked about this. It, 
takes a special kind of person to do what we do and like travel week in, week out, be on the road for weeks at a time, not seeing family, not seeing friends. It, it really takes a special kind of person. And I think if at the end of the day, if we didn't want it, then we just wouldn't do it. You know, I'm curious. I only did one year of schooling. You graduated uh, from UCLA. Uh, I, I want to know the thought process in your head. You know, you, you hang around Mike and I all the time and, and other players that have been on tour for longer than you have. Mm-hmm. Is there any feelings of, wow, maybe this, you know, if, if they're acting like this already, if they're, you know, have these negative connotations of tennis, you know, should I be playing this sport? Are there other, is there any, are you deterred from your dreams at all? Or this is what you want to do and you have full faith in yourself? I, I have full faith in myself. I mean, I, I've been working really hard this last, I mean, year so far since January in the gym, really, I feel like I've been improving there more so than anything else. Probably, um, just working harder in the gym than I ever have. Just feel, I feel strong. Like I feel good. Um, yeah, no, I definitely, this is, yeah, this is what I want to do. How does it differ from the expectations that you had? You obviously, just like a lot of college players, had the opportunity to play plenty of professional events. Mm-hmm. And you talked about just that level of treating it like your job. So what? where have the expectations maybe failed? Where have they exceeded your expectations of what it meant to be a pro? Well, I think, I think like, the first part of your, like, to answer your question, I think the first part is the mentality of like you mentioned, you've I've played a good bit of pro tournaments, but I think the mentality is what kind of separates then and now. Like all the pro tournaments that I've played, like whether it be challengers, uh, futures, whatever, whatever it is, it was just the uh, like the three months in between seasons at school that I'm more so just playing for experience, just playing for to stay fit over the summer, like get matches and just really be match tough when I get back to UCLA. It wasn't really like okay, this is like what I'm doing now it's it was more of like a this is just kind of not not a not a filler it definitely I was uh like gaining experience that I knew I was going to take with me when I did start playing but the pressure was completely different because I knew win lose doesn't really matter that much because mm-hmm. I'm not going to build a ranking in three months and even if I do I'm going back to school for eight nine months so I'm probably going to lose most of that ranking and I think the mentality is the most important thing um that now that I'm actually like this is what I'm doing like kind of I'm being introduced for the first time to like defending points building a ranking and having to think about all these things that I didn't really think about in between school kind of piggybacking off of that question you know I'm curious and I think a lot of um the listeners are curious to hear what it's like for a collegiate athlete who's you know been at the top of the game at at in college and now you're on your own. You're by yourself. You're playing tournaments that, you know, we're in Binghamton right now. It's not that glamorous, despite everybody yeah. working their asses off. It is what it is. And yeah. you might be playing some futures for the rest of the summer. You know, your schedule is a little bit up in the air. Mm-hmm. So what does it feel like to be at the top of college? I mean, you're holding trophies. You're winning NCAA titles. And now you're on your own. You're with Mike and I, which I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> so what does that feel like? Um, It's different. It's different. But... um. Like you say, you say you're you're out here by yourself, but like I don't really feel like that. I mean, like you said, we're here, me, you, Mike. I mean, you've I've got so many buddies, friends at these tournaments that I play with, that we travel together. Like we see the same faces. It's kind of like a little tennis family, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I don't really feel like 
I don't really feel like I'm out here by myself. I feel like I have a, a lot of people that I can turn to, ask for practices, warm-ups, whatever. But the biggest difference, I would say, between college and playing professionally is getting used to losing a lot. Mm. Like in college, when you go and you play uh, two dual matches in a weekend, I mean, more more often than not, I mean, I would go, like I'd win two good matches, I'd come home, I'd be feeling great, like didn't don't have like that loss that you have at most pro tournaments. Um, so getting used to losing, like even if you make a final, that's an unbelievable week, but you're still go- – like if you lose in the finals, you're still going home with that loss, and that kind of sits with you a little bit as opposed to in college you win that dual match, you win whatever, and you go home with that feeling. So that's what I think understanding that just because you lose doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It's not a problem. It's just taking the losses – learning from the losses and understanding that they're going to happen. How have you coped with it? Uh, it's, I, it's a good question. I think that, um, I think I'm doing a pretty good job so far. Um, like just trying to keep a growth mindset and not really letting the matches like today get to me too much because at the end of the day, I know I've only been playing for seven months full time, like really all in. And a guy like Luke Savile has been playing for, going on seven years now so i mean there's no comparison when it comes to experience and how much he's played professionally versus me and i i think so far i'm having a pretty good growth mindset of i'm really happy with how i played today how i served today how i'm feeling physically on the court and and taking those more so than taking the losses you obviously also are, are doing the doubles route and right now, and, and I'm interested how your body is reacting. On top of the mental side uh, of college tennis, you're playing two matches on the weekends. It's a little bit different when you're out here grinding two, three, four, five matches in a week. How's the body holding up? Um, how have you prepared that regard? Um, I think I've been doing a really good job preparing my body. I mean, I feel strong. Like I feel, I feel pretty close to as fit as I've ever been, and uh, and it's just kind of taking that and running with it and just keep building and keep getting better because I mean you can only no matter what you can always improve so just kind of taking that and running with it we talked this week our our podcast our weekly podcast was about scheduling Mm -hmm. Um, it's one thing for Noah yeah so Noah's obviously with that ability he knows he's going to get into every challenger that he wants to get into with his current ranking you have been around that 400-ish, 350, 400-ish level where you have much more difficult choices that you have to make between playing some 25Ks, some challengers where you can get in using ITF rankings to get into some challengers. Absolutely. How complicated has it been for you this year really structuring and staying with a schedule? Honestly, that's been one of the one of the hardest parts, I would say, especially given, like you said, where my ranking's at. I mean, right now I'm in a situation where I don't know if I should stay here uh, in the States and maybe, maybe not get into some challengers, go to Europe and play some 25, like 25K futures where I know I'll for sure get in. Um, that's honestly been one of the hardest things for me because I, A, am not very experienced yet in my pro career with scheduling, and B, I just don't know where I will versus won't get in. So scheduling, what I'm realizing slowly but surely is – Probably one of the more important things scheduling right is is really really key and just I feel like the more I'm out here the more experience I get the better I'll get and just like just like with anything. I'm curious as to who is helping you. You know you're you're doing this 
a lot of it on your own or do you have somebody saying you know what maybe you should play outside the country or maybe you should be playing this challenger let's get matches at the future level or you're kind of just you know going with the flow for right now uh you know looking at the itf list looking at the atp list and and seeing how it goes i'm curious what's the process in your mind do you have people next to you helping you out or is this kind of on your own um I definitely, I definitely feel like I do have people um, like around me that I can turn to. Like I still, I still keep in close contact with my coach at UCLA, Billy Martin. We talk a good bit about this kind of stuff, like about my matches, scheduling, all that. My parents, uh, a couple coaches out in Carson that I think have helped me tremendously with my game and everything. Um, but for the most part, right now, it's more kind of go with the flow, see where I get in, where I don't get in. Um, because where I'm at right now, if I can get into the challengers, I want to play the challenger and give myself a chance as opposed to committing super early and being like, Oh darn, I could have gotten into this, these two challengers and the what if. So I'm just at this point signing up, seeing where the lists are, where I might get in, where I might not get in and then make decision based on that. You know, a little bit tougher of a discussion, something Mike and I talk about constantly. And, and one of the biggest issues in tennis uh, the financials and you know I'm sure this is something you think about and you're looking you know it was $280 was one yeah. today I believe and yeah. you know you, you take expenses and, and tax away from that and you're owing money a good bit of money yeah so is this something that's affecting your mental side how are you coping with this and what is it like to not be able to afford to do certain things not be able to afford to go certain places and making sure that this is all managed a certain way solely because you you know you can't make money at 400 in the world yeah no it's definitely tough i mean ideally would I want to be traveling with a coach would I want to be traveling with someone that's kind of watching all my matches and be able to really sit with that person break my matches down like I think it would be great for me but obviously the financials don't really allow for that Um, as far as scheduling I think that's another big thing it's I kind of have to think well maybe I should kind of that I mean that's where a huge not huge but an obstacle I was facing just recently is uh, do I commit to go to France for three weeks Um, because you can get like a really good price on a flight really good price on hotels stuff like that because it's a month in advance or do I wait and see? And the more you wait, the more expensive things. Yeah, it's definitely something I think about, but definitely not easy, especially at this level, like you said, where the prize money, I mean, even if you go deep, like at a 25K, if you win the whole thing, you make three grand or 3,500, which, I mean, you'll definitely cover that week, but you have to keep in mind, you're most more than likely doing a three-week trip. And if you make final title one week, it's going to be really hard to come out the next week and do it. Your body's tired, so you're probably even if you title one week, you're probably coming out even on the trip. So it's definitely something I think about. So where does money come from? If you don't want to reveal your sources, I understand, but for a guy who's around 400 mark in the world, where does the money come from? Is it family? Is it sponsors that are connected to UCLA? How does that work? It's definitely family helps a lot. I mean, whenever I'm in LA, I'll, I'll teach lessons. I'll work with people, try and make a little bit of money there. Uh, just basically doing what I can to get by because, I mean, I want to play. I really want to pursue this. And it's not easy with the prize money you make. So you kind of have to supplement yourself as best as you can. And definitely, I mean, the U.S. Open last year was definitely really nice. Yeah. I mean, definitely gave me a little cushion financially to be able to play and kind of been able to offset some, 
like some of my current expenses with prize money and that and parents. So you definitely find a way if you want to do it, which I do. So, I mean, I'll, I know I'll find a way, but it's tough. People will hear you say that you're giving lessons. Yeah. And will be stunned by that. The fact oh, yeah. that you, in your spare time, you're giving some lessons to make some extra cash. That's, I think for a lot of people, that would be a revealing Oh Thanks. yeah, so I'll um when I'm in when I'm in Los Angeles, I'll have a day of training where I'm doing two practices, a fitness session, and then I'll commute home in the traffic for over an hour and then I've got a lesson at 6 p.m. Hmm. to try and offset and try and make a little extra money. So yeah, it's definitely definitely one of the avenues that that kind of helps a little bit. So in these types of situations, you're obviously not going to be in U.S. Open qualifying on, qualifying on your own ranking. How much does that um, that carrot of a, a wild card um, into qualifying? I mean, do you think about those types of things, uh, the decision that the USTA is going to be making over the next couple of weeks? Uh, I mean, I think every American player in my situation thinks about it. Yeah. I try not to let it consume me too much. Like, oh, like I need to make a result here. Maybe like I'll get a wild card, this and that. Like, I feel like if I were to think like that, it would eat me, like just eat away at me and I wouldn't be able to focus on what I'm trying to focus on. And especially this being my first year, I think it's more important to focus on getting better and working on the things that will eventually get me to the point where I'm playing US Open qualifying, qualifying, playing in main draws and stuff like that. I think that's more important than worrying about the the wild cards and the repercussions of results. No, I'm brought up coaching, uh, the financial aspect of that. Yeah. Um, you have been working with Vahe, um, yes. the smiling beard uh, yes. at, at the USTA Carson. Yes. Um, you guys have both been in situations and I'd love for both of you to talk about it where you are sharing coaches. It's not a one-on-one oh, yeah. -on -one type of a situation. How mm -hmm. have you found that versus um, maybe a few more opportunities to be one-on-one -on -one in the, the team setting? um team setting as far as ucla um i think well first of all i think vahe does a great job kind of running the show in carson when um i mean it's him and david nankin when they're both there it's it's really next to none but uh nanks is usually traveling a lot vahe's also traveling with sam a good bit now but when he's in carson i think he does a really good job of running practices and kind of dividing his time evenly to everyone that's there trying to give everyone as much attention as he can so I think he specifically does a very good job with that. But of course at UCLA, I mean, I would go into Billy's office and I'd be like, Hey Billy, I want an individual on Monday and Wednesday from 10 to 11. And it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a question of, can I, it would be a Billy, I need this is like, this is what I need. And it'd be okay. Done. You know? So that's definitely another thing that like the billion things that you have to adjust from college to the pro tour. That's, that's definitely one of them. So I mean, it was super difficult for me in the same situation to go from Wake Forest to go from, you know, actually I had a really great um, home atmosphere where they were always there mm -hmm. for me. And then I go to a situation where, you know, you're working with the UST coach and then, you know, they have a few guys and, you know, you have to align the schedules. And then I, I took Carl Spinoski private and I'm with Ty. And then, the, again, the schedules don't always align. We're playing different tournaments. And, yeah. you know, we're 200 in the world and – we have to make sure that our coaches, you know, with one player this week, with another player this week, and then we are training this week together. And it's, yeah. there's so much that goes into it. I don't think people truly understand that, you know, because of the financials and because we have to split a coach, you know, we're dealing with these repercussions that 
we can't almost advance. We we don't have that team around us that's really you know elevating. We it has to be within us. I, I that's what I'm finding. That's what I always find that you know with the shortcomings of financials and the situation of tennis that if you want it bad enough, you can do it. But it has to come within yourself because you don't have that outside help. And I don't know if you're already finding that. Um, you know, in your few months of you know being a pro, I don't know if this is. You know, I'm curious what you know. You could tell Marty a year from now if he's feeling a little down. I'm curious, like, where, where's your motivation coming from? You know, because you already know how tough it is to get there. So what's next? Honestly, a big, a big part of where my motivation comes from is seeing guys such as yourself, for example, such as Mackie McDonald, like guys that I've grown up playing with, grown up competing with, having close matches, beating, losing to. And seeing like you play Roger in Australian Open, seeing Mackie play Grigor at Australian Open, seeing Mackie make the second round, of, uh, second week of Wimbledon, stuff like that, like getting wins at Grand Slams, which is what I want to be doing, and seeing guys that I grew up with essentially uh, playing with that just have more time under their belt than I do, seeing what they're doing, like Mackie, I think, I think he got to that level really quickly with two years from when he left school to when he made the second week of Wimbledon. I think two years to make that transition is incredibly quick. It uh, takes some people a lot longer. I mean, look what Roger's doing at 38 years old, pretty much. I think there's a lot of time, and I think with time, if like I feel like I have the level, I just need the, the time under my belt, the experience, the exposure, and seeing guys that I've grown up with do it gives me hope that, I mean, why not me? UCLA, it's uh, from an outsider's perspective. Always yes, has. Please tell me. Oh, <laughs> I've always heard these rumors. Wildly, As have everybody. Wildly let's, exaggerated. Let's just that Billy just kind of throws out the balls, and you just kind of do things on your own terms, your own schedule. Yeah. It's it it feels at the very least. I think people would say it's a different structure than probably ninety nine percent of the the college programs. So for sure, what's reality of that? what is uh not see i i almost like i mean i've talked to i mean you you guys aren't the first ones to bring this up because literally everyone that i talk to regarding (laughs) ucla i mean the the what i get is hey like have you have you seen billy at practice yet like does he show up at practice and i'm just like like where are you hearing this stuff from like if there's anyone that's like involved committed like billy's a hundred percent like bought in i mean these rumors that that at UCLA, like the the coaching is very hands off, the like that coaches don't show up to practices. I just a they're I mean they couldn't be further from the truth, and b I just really want to know where they come from because <laughs> it's so unanimously confirmed among yeah, people that I've right. talked to and people just I mean word on the street if you will yeah that I I just have no idea where it comes from. I mean I was like my senior year at UCLA I was having one to two individuals a week with Billy and Rickus on my court. Yeah. I mean, every single team practice, Billy and Rickus are running the show. Grant, when he was there, was also running the show with them. I mean, everyone was super invested, super bought in every single day at practice. So you also can't argue with the success. I mean, the fact that I Mackie's mean, if, up there, Dennis Novikov had a very good run for, for a bit of time. Uh, Maxime has been, has has improved. Done very well. And, and I mean, I think, I think Max is a great example of, a guy that came in to UCLA with not the highest level, but so much potential. And I mean, he's six, eight fit moves. Well, like lots and lots and lots of upside. Um, 
and Billy saw that like he has a good eye for seeing for seeing that kind of potential and over the years um over the first three years that Max spent at UCLA I mean Billy would spend hours with him like basket feeding drilling working on his technique his form making tweaks here adjusting his game like you name it Billy was on with him every single day pretty much and I mean obviously you see the dividends I mean Max won a challenger in January he's really doing well playing really good tennis so like you said the pro the pro side has a lot of success Mm -hmm. um but also the college side i mean billy billy's ended the year outside of the top five or top 10 maybe twice in 30 years right so i mean yes i understand ucla is like an easy school to recruit to you can get a lot of talent but there's a lot of programs that are like that as well and a lot of programs definitely don't have that kind of track record so I mean, I think I think Billy's results kind of speak for themselves. And I mean, obviously, I can attest to the fact that I when I first got to UCLA versus when I left, I was two completely different players as far as my game style, my physicality and all that. So, I yeah, I think there's a lot of things that can speak to that. All right. So uh, you and your brother have had at times some issues with my commentary. Uh... No. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the question being, though, how how hard is it to let some of those external things, if I say something that you disagree with or if some fan says it, how do you not let those types of things affect you in the long run? Well, I mean, I don't hear what you have to say until I watch the match back and right. I can be like, oh, what's he talking about? Like, that's yeah. not true, whatever. But when I'm on court, um, I mean, obviously anything you say, I don't even hear. So that's sure. irrelevant. But as far as um, as far as the fans go i mean there usually isn't too much of an issue with that kind of stuff but i think college is definitely something that helps prepare anyone for dealing with adversity when it comes to the crowd or the surroundings whatever um just because of the nature of college tennis and you just do your best to channel it out you just can't let like i think today in my match i let in the second set tiebreaker i was playing it was a really important point serving three two and I was going for a backhand, and some children started screaming at the right. top of their lungs from the outside of the court. Right. Literally right behind Literally you. right behind the court at the yeah. top of their lungs. And not only did it startle me, but it was kind of – I mean, it was a huge distraction. Lost the point, 4-2, switching sides instead of 3-all. Like, it was a really pivotal moment. So it's stuff like that. I mean, you can almost just call it bad luck, but you just have to do your best to deal with it, not let it get to you, which I could have done a much better job with today. And who knows, maybe if I don't let that get to me, I win the next point instead of lose the next point, 4-3 instead of 5-2, it's a different ballgame. So we don't have beef, though. Not yet. No, you I'm haven't watched we... today's match. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I haven't had time yet. We might, we might have beef in about two hours. But... No, I think I was very complimentary. I, from, from my perspective, and we've never actually talked about this, my idea is always try to celebrate uh, the sport. Sure. People at this level. Uh, no, so. I think, I mean... All jokes aside, I think you do a very good job with how you commentate, the things you say. I think a lot of, if not all the people that listen to the uh, to the Challenger broadcast have positive things to say about your commentary, about the things you see. It's not just the generic, oh, great forehand from whatever. It's like there's more nuance to it. There's more than just, 
what anyone can see. So I think people appreciate that. And at the end of the day, you do a very good job with what you do. Can we, whenever we hang out from now on, can we also have the microphones on so that you actually say these positive things to me as opposed to some of the negative ones when we're in the cone of off the record? Yeah, that's why the cone of off the record is the cone of off the record because it stays there. <laughs> well, I, I want to finish this um, as we're, we're pretty close to our, our 30 minute uh, time frame um, to let you guys have a, a final discussion here about fifa um because i sure I, frankly some of the trash talking is is vile <laughs> um <laughs> frankly i'm a little bit too old and a little scared uh, of what i hear but uh you know how much of that is just letting off steam um how much of it is the fact that you are both professional athletes and are just competitive to the core I'll let Noah. I'll let Noah. Sorry, uh, I, I want to hear what Noah has to say here. Marty and I, our relationship goes back. I mean, yeah. so far, and I mean to the time where we played doubles together at the Junior French Open, where yeah. we witnessed Martin actually hit Mach twenty straight to yep. Ken Onishi's stomach, Poor and guy. he uh, collapsed like a suitcase. <laughs> so we basically witnessed the murder of a man together, and that really brings a relationship closer. He almost killed a, a kid today. I did, did almost kill a yes. kid today. I was so that not a great been, track record. That could have been really bad. The little man just ran across the court. I didn't even see it. And I went 115 mile an hour serve that misses face by three inches. Yeah. That could have been really bad. Yeah. So not a great track record, and this really you know brought our relationship <laughs> closer together. So we've always been super competitive with each other. Yeah. I mean to the max with anything we've done, and we travel together constantly. Yep. And, you know, honestly, he's one of my closest friends on tour right now, and we get along really well. But, yeah, the FIFA stuff is – that's definitely off the record. Let's so. just say the FIFA stays in the cone of off the record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we really appreciate you being on, Martin. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, no, it's always uh, fun to talk about the successes, the struggles of pro tennis. And, yeah, thank you guys. And that'll do it for another edition of the Coffee Cast with Patient and Music, powered by Behind the Racket. More coming up this week in England.